Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. We can need an icebreaker. We all know each other. Dude, we need an icebreaker. Oh my gosh, we, we should do a basic one. Go for it. Favorite fall thing. Favorite fall thing. Favorite type of coffee. Favorite Starbucks drink. I don't know. I think the, yeah. Favorite, favorite fall thing. Let's do that. Uh, favorite fall things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I have so much to say about that. Yeah. So the guy, like the guy that I'm trying to get a meeting with, his bio on his website's really funny, and it said, "The best time to ask Kevin for a favor is after the after the Cowboys, Mavericks, or Detroit Tigers win." And so I emailed him yesterday, and I said, "Like I'd love to set up a meeting with you. I'm reaching out today rather than tomorrow because I saw in your bio that you'd like to be asked for things after a win, and the Cowboys are seven point underdogs tonight. So I'm asking today rather than tomorrow." I don't know if you thought that was funny or not. Man, That's they were so cool. close. So close. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to meet games, but that's what the guy I want to do for his birthday this week in a small group. I was like, oh, I'll go watch the game with you. Tom Brady with a minute and a half left is... I know, it's dangerous. Book it. It's, dangerous. It's, it's done. What Tom Brady played? Yeah, he plays for, he played for Tampa Bay. Oh. You're, you're American now. You gotta, like, you gotta Alrighty. Let's get started this morning, guys. What's up, Shine in Delight? He has a radio voice. What? He does have a radio You voice. just totally switched. You have a radio personality. You yeah. have a radio personality. Oh, okay, cool. Anyways, <laughs> let's get started. Uh, Ro, do you have an icebreaker question for us? Even though we know each other, we still want to break the ice with our audience. We have Google Go we in say, the booth. We say, we say icebreakers as if we didn't talk about it five minutes Ooh. before we hit record. <laughs> You're like, right. Uh, Google Girl, what is the icebreaker for the day? Oh, dear. Mallory, sorry. I'm Hold sorry on, I'm getting that. fired? Why you're, are we? Dude, you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> nope, nope. Favorite fall thing. That's, oh, that's the icebreaker. Okay, yeah. Okay. Favorite fall thing. But it Not was my idea. I don't care. Not even giving her an opportunity to say it. <laughs> Guys, it is like 60 something degrees here in Dallas. Fall is coming. Pumpkin spice lattes are out. Like, we started a conference this weekend. Do you know how many girls walked in with pumpkin? Spice lattes. I asked people in the parking lot. You it was did? Like 95 yeah. degrees this weekend. It was, it was still, not... it was super hot. And I'm like, they were iced though. They were getting these like pumpkin spice cold brews and pumpkin spice this. And one girl had two and I was like, can I have that? She's like, no, it's for my friend. I was like, okay. Uh, favorite fall thing, ready, go. Neville, you're up. Right. Uh, so as a musician, I get to play at lots of weddings uh, during the fall. So I like that. Lame. During the fall, not <laughs> in you, summer? Do you need me to carry yes, your equipment? Yes. It's I weird. Mean, yes. Oh, can you, can you? Bench on an entire piano. Dude, you know? I mean, depends. Like <laughs> keyboard, yes. Uh, grand piano, no. Well, you're coming up on a year, aren't you? Of marriage? Yeah. Oh yeah, two months away, man, dude. November was it? November 9th? No. November seventh. Very Seven. close. Very close. Awesome. But we yeah. digress. So your favorite thing is playing weddings. Playing weddings, yeah, and just getting to see these lovely people doing the lovely things. Dancing. I'm gonna do what Ro does. His favorite is football. <laughs> Not no. <laughs> That was good. You got it wrong. That you got it wrong. Good. It's college football. College uh, football. Specific. And specifically, Sorry. my favorite part of the fall is waking up, is sleeping in, getting Chick-fil-A for breakfast. The weather's a little chilly watching college game day, mm. especially the last 15 minutes where they're doing the picks. That's the mm. best. Like, that is where I'm happiest, is eating Chick-fil-A, watching Lee Corso put on headgear to pick, you know, during college game day. Mallory, is there a difference between college football and pro football? Like, Really? Yeah, so I don't want to get into the technical. No, I'm just kidding. I have no. I mean, I, I feel like college, like sports in general, just tends to be more true to the actual sport and not about money. So it tends to be more entertaining for me. But as... And bigger stadiums, generally. Oh, oh really? Yeah. College football has 
bigger – like the biggest stadiums in America are all college football stadiums. That makes sense because oh, wow. the fans are literally living there. Well, yeah, and you it's know, always the... – they're all in like relatively small towns where there's nothing else to do. So like if you're <laughs> like USC – Like OU. Yeah, yeah like sorry. if you're USC and you live, you're in Los Angeles, you have to be really good to fill up the stadium because there's a bunch of other stuff to do. This mm-hmm. is bigger than the Cowboys Stadium. Yeah. What? Uh, like Michigan, the big house, that's 110,000. LSU is 102. Alabama's 101. Tennessee's 101. Yeah, but like, the Texas Motor Speedway, like 248,000. Bro, why do you know all that? Oh, oh really? It's huge. <laughs> yeah, the NASCAR fans are even bigger. Yeah, because it's like a mile track. Like, they I'm, just put, saying, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I agree with you. I'm just... <laughs> no, you're right. They are huge. Uh, Mallory, what is your uh, favorite fall thing? Uh, I like that it's like everyone's coming back from summer and uh, people tend to want to get like, I don't know, time together being indoors. Mm. There's like candlelight or firelight and just, I don't know, more. It's just like warm, if mm. that makes sense. Makes and then sense. also the clothing is awesome. way better. Yeah, I was oh. about to say, I like uh, sweats and sweaters and just wearing them and going to uh, actually my favorite part is like waking up in the morning, putting them on. And then go and work work out in them. I'm like, yes, this is so good. I get to work out with my hoodie on and pants. It's great. Let's go. And I also like worship nights, and it feels like that's a fall thing for some reason. That is a fall thing. That's a fall thing. I love it. Fall is my favorite. All right, Navia, what do you got for the audience Absolutely. today? Absolutely. What are you guys manifesting at the moment? Manifesting. Does that mean emotions inside of me? Or what do you mean? Yeah, you know, like actual um, uh, the universe manifest. I don't do Truth that. manifest. Love manifest all these things. Yeah, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not mm. that new agey. No. Can we skip that one? That's like a Gen Z thing. No? No, no. <laughs> that's, an, that's an alpha. Ouch. An alpha. Thank you so much. Yeah. No. Well, he, he, is, young he is technically, I just hit my microphone. He is technically Gen Z. He is, yeah. We're millennials, but you're the young boy. Anyway, uh, the, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thought behind that question is that the new age spirituality, you know, it tries to sell this idea to people, to young people, that you can be your own gods, right? And, oh, I get it. And, 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 and now you manifest whatever it is that you want with its happiness. You just visualize it and then make it happen. I mean, it's new agey. It's very much new. And we can see that inside of the, anywhere really, the, even the, the Christian church. Um, thinking about it last night, we just had a conversation where we talk and it's like, man, I'm a Christian, but yet I'm still anxious. Like, no, no, you just got to speak it out of existence, man. You just got to not be anxious kind of a deal. And that idea is more, yeah, yeah. That idea is more new agey coming to the church than it is uh, from the Bible. It doesn't, God doesn't say, he just doesn't say, follow me and you'll not be anxious. Follow me, you'll not be depressed. Follow me and you'll have all these blessings or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, he says to follow him to deny yourself and take up your cross and go after it. Yeah. He even says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. Amen. John just, like, just, just so we're all on the same page, guys. This is going to be really difficult for you, but it's okay because I'm going to come back one day. That's essentially the message. Yeah. Like, ooh. Yeah. Well, and if you suffer, you suffer in my name. Yeah. So you're you basically going to walk with me. Yeah. But yeah. the new age, and not even the new age, the since the beginning of time, since the first sins, we have I am going to I am my own God. I get to do what I want to do. I get to be in charge. Right. Yeah. Isn't that what we believe that happened in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve sinned? They're like, I want to be like God, and Satan was right there. Mm-hmm. And Satan's first sin talks about that he was in. He was in heaven reflecting God's glory, and he said, man, I want to be like God. Man, mm. I want to do that, right? And that's the original sin is I want to be my own God and choose my own ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, can I speak to that a little bit? Going Go back to the it. garden. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God, or that's that's the wrong verse. Hold on. That was about where Eve gets created. I set that up and kind of set myself up. Oh, here we go. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, 
but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Dot, dot, dot. Next chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from the tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Mm. Right? Did you catch the difference there? God never said he wasn't, she wasn't allowed to touch it. Mm-hmm. He just said you're not allowed to eat from it. But Eve, she was comfortable enough just getting the gist of it. She's like, oh, you know, God said that tree's bad. We're not allowed to touch it. We're not allowed to eat from it. I got the gist. You know, I'm okay. She was very cavalier with God's word. Because at this point in history, if the Bible was written, if God's, word, if God's commandments were written at this point, it could fit on one index card. Don't eat from that tree right there. Right? But even though it was such a short, that was all the law was. That's all she had to know. But even then, she was too cavalier with it, and she was okay just getting the gist of it, right? If that were us, like knowing what we know now, and God said, all you have to do to live in paradise on earth is don't eat from that tree, we would dig a moat around that tree. We would put caution tape around it. We'd build a wall. We'd put armed guards around the wall. We'd put security cameras around the wall. We'd put gators in the moat. We would make sure that no one even got close to the tree. We would carve that one commandment into a rock and make Mm -hmm. sure that rock was always within eyesight. We would make very certain that we did not disobey the one commandment that God gave us. But Eve and Adam were content just getting the gist of it, and then it caused them to fall prey to the enemy's schemes, which is what's the first thing that he does to throw us off balance? Did God really say dot, dot, dot? And so the enemy's playbook since Genesis 3 has not changed. It's so doubt, you can be your own God, do what you want to do. Did God really say you're not allowed to do X? Mm. Did God really say you're not allowed to have a couple more beers than you probably should. Did God really say that, right? Did God really say dot, 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 you be your own God, you know what's best for you, you do you. And I think someone in Psalms, David writes about men being gods. Mm. And so it's very easy. I mean, I've heard a lot of preachers misquoting that, yes. That, hey, you are gods. The translation uh, in the Hebrew, which I haven't studied Hebrew as much, um, would be like an L or Elohim. Your Elohim's little Elohim's, which is really descendants, but we have Yahweh above that, recognizing there's only one God, and everything else beneath Him is created. And referring to little gods could be rulers, judges, or like little gods of the neighboring states for idolatry. Why is it so popular today to say my truth, my way, mm. kind of a deal? Like it just it's popped up. I see in the last couple of years more relevant than ever. I mean, I think people just felt marginalized. Maybe they felt like they didn't know the way. And it's just such a intoxicating thing to think that I can define what truth is and it's all relative or um, I matter most and I'm Mm. number one. And, you know, but in like an insidious way where it's, they're trying to say like you matter and it doesn't matter if you can't get along with other people around you or, you know, we're basically just encouraging shouting into an echo chamber where no one's actually listening to anyone else. Mm. You're just sharing what you care about, which actually divides people more than anything. Mm. I like how John Piper uh, uh, defined it, that we tend to be in a world where people want to be spiritual, but then they don't want to associate their spirituality with that divinity, right? Mm. So, I mean, you have this various uh, divinity thoughts, such as Christianity, uh, Buddhism, and all this, and they have the stipulations on what it means to be a Christian, to be a Buddhist, to be Muslim, right? And people don't want that because technically it comes with certain rules in court and also the young people really don't like rules. And so another way about that is choosing to find the comfort in knowing that there's some something up 
there, but there, uh, there, there's something out there, but then there's something that's out there. You want it to be of your creation and then you mm. model it in a way that's convenient to you, to your beliefs, right? And uh, that's, you know, less stressful. Well, I would counter that yeah. your generation and all generations like rules. I mean, that's why governments are put into power because we like to know where the boundaries are. We like to know what we can and can't do. But I think to go off of your point, uh, we don't like to be asked hard things yes. or we, and we don't, we have had such a society that is so critical thinking that there is only one way. And if we don't agree, then that means that we can't come together. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I think that's part of it is people, they don't want to be asked to do difficult things, either to give up things that they really enjoy that make them feel good or um, to essentially lose their identity in these roles, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and we look Very at good. the way society has gone as well, um, away from a nuclear family and away from making family the priority. Mm -hmm. um, and so people have naturally become more selfish in that. So now everyone is spiritual, man. Yeah, I'm a spiritual individual. I do X, Y, and Z. This happens, yada, yada, yada. But they're not as religious or not as revolved in religion because most religions are asking to give up themselves. You know, Christianity is, man, mm -hmm. you're called to die to yourself, to serve and to love those around you. A lot of times, uh, even Buddhists would say that I'm trying to, to love those around me well. And most religions would say that. And people are like, man, you know, I just don't really want to serve people around me. That's just not how I work. I'm going to be a spiritual person, but I don't really want to, and I want to have my own way. I don't want to give of myself. Mm -hmm. And that's how the generations have been going because we're more and more disconnected they said because we're walking away from families and jobs are more important in the Western culture and even in Eastern and China and South Korea, where, wherever the job's at, that's where I'm going. Where's my family? Doesn't matter. It's all about the job. Um, yeah. and, that, and we've just seen that digression and moving away towards just spirituality. And you have to have a God of some kind, so you become your own God. Mm -hmm. What's the verse where, I think it's in Judges, where it says, and they all did what was right in their own eyes? It is it's repeatedly in judges. It's repeatedly in judges. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's in the beginning and in the end. Um, yeah, it's it's actually right there. And they did what was right in their own eyes. Talking about Israel, and they had just walked into the promised land. You know, mm -hmm. Joshua's like, man, here's what you got to do: follow the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. And they say, we're going to serve God. And he's gone for like a couple years, gone, and then they forget about God. Completely. Completely. It takes um, like two generations, one generation. I was thinking about this in class yesterday. Um, we're talking about class. There's a legal debate of, it's been going on for centuries of, do you follow the black letter of the law, even if it gives you an unfavorable result, if you're a judge, or do you do what is equitable, what is fair, right? That's the debate. And I always lean towards the side of following the black letter of the law, because, and this is, this is kind of what I wanted to say in class, but I didn't say it, which is a lot of the biggest atrocities in history, actually, all of the biggest atrocities in history happened when unelected people did what was right in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. It's like as soon as you take upon yourself the definition of I'm going to choose between right and wrong, that's how you, in extreme examples, that's how you get things like the Soviet Union. That's how you get the Assyrian Empire. That's how you get Nazi Germany. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Going back to the garden, as soon as you tell yourself, I'm going to make the decision of what's right and wrong in my own eyes, regardless of what God tells me is right and wrong, that's when chaos happens. I think it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn who I'm, I'm not saying his name correctly, he wrote the Gulag Archipelago, which is, is most people believe is the greatest writing in the 20th century. Um, he was a political prisoner in the Soviet Union, and he wrote this book called the Gulag Archipelago. Basically, the idea was um, there are so many like internment camps all throughout the Soviet Union. It's like an archipelago, right? There's like dots all over the Soviet Union, all these gulags. And um, so he wrote, basically, it's a book on human nature. How did we get here? Like, how did a bunch of young, idealistic socialists and communists in 1910 
you know, come to power and then create this hellscape that is called the Soviet Union? How did 20 million people die? And Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave a very simple answer, who he himself was not a believer, I don't, I don't think. But he said, very simply, we have forgotten God. That's how all of this happened. When a bunch of people said, we don't need God anymore, we're going to exclude him, we're going to do what we think is best, 20 million people died over the course of a century. And it, it all went back to, we want to be our own God. I mean, that's where the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. You think you're doing right, but you you don't know everything, you know? So you're always marginalizing someone when you think you're doing something right, you know? Vladimir Lenin really thought he was doing the world a service, and then millions and millions of people died um, because he wanted to kick God out of the country. So I am uh, in my 20s, you know? Uh, still in my 20s, I am making... Let's just be... I'm, I'm playing a fictitious character. Um and I'm making six figures, man. I'm having a good time in Dallas right now. I get to go to Deep Ellum, hit the clubs on Friday, Saturday, Thursday night sometime. Um, I'm texting multiple women because I'm a guy. And dude, life is just good. Why should I care about anything you guys are talking about? Like mm. the spirituality, this religion, this Jesus stuff. That's the story of 50% of people in Dallas. Yeah. We actually met one on Tuesday. I'm getting lunch with them in a couple hours. Actually. Yeah. yeah. But how do we respond to that? Because I'm actually really content with my life right now. Like, it's going good. What happens when you die? I don't know. What does it matter? I was going to say, why should I care about that right now? Yeah, dude. Things right. are so freaking good right now. Why should I care about it in the how, future? How certain are you that you're going to live the next 50 years? I mean, I work out, dude. Hit that gym, bro. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a conversation with a guy in my class last year, and he basically told me exactly that. He said, things are going well for me right now. I'm not ready to get back into the church. I think once I get older and I have a family and I have kids, that's when I'll start to take God seriously. And I said, I care about you enough to tell you that you are being incredibly stupid because you are driving towards a cliff as fast as you can, mm. and you feel like you're just cruising right now, but eventually you're going to fly off that cliff. Um, and when you do fly off the cliff, for a second, you're going to feel like you're flying, but then eventually you're going to hit the ground and you're going to be gone, right? And I said, you know, you can tell yourself, you can lie to yourself that you have all, you're guaranteed all of this time to get serious about your faith later, but it's like, are you, are you really sure? That you're even going to live the next five minutes. Jesus can come back in the next five minutes. He promises like a thief in the night. You won't know when I'm coming. He could come back in the next 30 seconds. Right? Um, so my, my question is, why are you so certain that you're going to have all of this time to come to Christ later? Why are you certain that you're going to have all this time and that life is going to go so well for you that you don't need Jesus? Well, I'm in, I'm in charge. I control my own world. I make my own decisions. And I'm not ready to die yet. Oh, you're in charge. I mean, that's, yeah. You have a boss? Um, kind of. Yeah. But I'm, I'm getting there. If you give okay. me two years, I'll be in his position. Okay, yeah. So someone right now determines determines what you do. Right? A little bit, but I got a lot of freedom. Actually, I have a, a company credit card and a company car. It's oh, pretty dope, actually. That's good. Yeah, what kind of car? Uh, It's actually a Tesla. We're trying to be a, a company that you know cares for the environment. Oh, okay, that's, that's, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. What happens if that Tesla breaks down? I don't know. I'll figure it out then. Okay, yeah. My, sir, my point is there are so many things that can happen to you over the course of 24 hours. There's no possible way that you could ever seriously look yourself in the mirror and say that I am truly in control of my own life. Because a lot of people thought that in December of 2019. And then three months later, a lot of those same people got laid off and had to liquidate their life savings because they didn't have a job, mm. right? So there's weird, like it, it is foolish and ridiculous to think that we are in any sort of control in this life. Not even that, but I think, I think there's such a focus on what do you do when you die, but Christ promises eternity today and your life now. Um, and like an example of that is, and we were just talking about it, even believers uh, struggle with anxiety. I mean, I think the majority of the U.S. and the world population, especially after the past couple of years, is anxious, 
even if they think they have everything under control and everything is good, like when hard things happen, that's when the hiccup kind of comes into their walk. Um, and they start maybe considering things or being more open to some of those conversations, but still they have that comfort of being their own guide. But I think that's a conversation point as well of just, uh, who do you have as a person to call if there's an emergency, if you get hit by a car or if life doesn't go well or you do lose your job? Who, who are you going to go to? Um, who's going to be able to be there for you? Who's going to help walk you through that? Or do you have a plan for that? Uh, I think it doesn't even have to go to the point of death, but it's like, do you have people? Do you have community? Do you have people who care about you who are going to show up? Or do, are you all your friends the same mindset as you? And so all they care about is themselves. So that as long as you guys are on the same page, you're friends. But as soon as you're no longer at the clubs or don't have that money or that nice Tesla, are they still going to be there for you? Yeah. Mm. I, I think from what I realized, I mean, from my own story and from my interaction interactions with others, nine out of 10 times when people say that everything is okay, usually it's not, mm -hmm. right? If she doesn't text you back, are you okay with that? Or are you mm -hmm. scrolling down your contacts to find the next person to call, right? On a Friday night when you're sitting by yourself and you get on Instagram and everybody's out partying, do you feel that formal? And do you just want to be in that scene or are you just okay being by yourself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, then you are not in control. You are not okay mm. you're constantly uh searching for the next high even even chasing after it right sometimes obsessively and that is an idiotic misconception that a lot of young people really subscribe to and it's easy for you to feel as if everything is okay i'm having all this fun but if your neighbor you know gets a better car than yours do you feel as if well i need to upgrade right and so i think um i think uh you are drawn to you're not actually free. Is that what you're, you're not actually free. So yes. the, re the reason why I asked Andrew in that little hypothetical that we ran through, do you have a boss? And he said, yeah, but I have a lot of free reign. Well, you have a boss. Like you, you think you're free and you think that you're determining your own destiny, but your boss could fire you at any second. If he told you, if you were really tied to this job and he told you, you know, you got to move to Portland, Oregon, you'd do it, you know, or, or you'd at least have to face the choice of, do I want to move to Oregon or give up this job that I love? All right. So this idea that I'm free and I can do whatever I want, that's a lie. You're serving someone. Um, if you're attached, if you're addicted to the next dollar, you're serving the dollar. Um, if you're addicted to sex, you're serving sex. If you're addicted to alcohol, you're serving alcohol. Um, and so as Christians, we have made the decision, if we're going to be addicted to anything, if we're going to serve anything, we're at least going to serve the person who spoke the universe into existence. I think if, we're, if, we, ha if we have to follow someone, right, I'm going to follow the guy that loved me so much that he came down and he died for me. Because it's like, it's a, it's a fool's errand and it is it's a fallacy to think that I could ever truly not serve anything. That's not true. You're all, we're all serving something and I have chosen to serve Christ. In, in other words, we are putting our trust in something, yeah. right? And that trust may be in your job right now. That trust may be in your money, your Friday nights, your Saturday, whatever it is, you're putting your trust inside of something else. Um, and we, because we don't like uncertainty, it's very uncomfortable like, oh, what's going to happen next? Like, especially past couple of years with all the uncertainty going on. Mm -hmm. And even right now, a lot of people, that's why it's so big. We'll just talk about it, you know, vaccinations, not vaccinations, masks, not masks, because we want to have trust in something. And there's a lot of uncertainty about what's the best way to go, what's going on there. And so we latch on to one way and we're like, this is the way, this is my way, this is, this is certain, you know, and we don't want to give that up because if it's not the way, we'll go back to uncertainty again. Right, and if if climbing the corporate ladder is not the the way, man, I, I'm uncertain again, and it just causes chaos and trouble. 
Well, and I think those are less, like the more obvious ways of you being your own God, right? Is saying like, my life is good. Why should I change it? Why should I give things up? Why should I do any of that? But I think there's a more insidious one that many uh, fair weather Christians can also be guilty of, which is allowing fear to be your master. So maybe not mm-hmm. life and good things, but like the fear. And so in doing so, you may or may not be aware, but you're making a decision. I'm going to trust on my own strength, my own abilities, my own knowledge to make decisions and not handing it over to God. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, the, you don't have to be a Christian to do that, but I think that's a common one that we forget. That's also pride. That's also uh, control and thinking that, you know, the best way is just insulating, keeping it in, isolating, making your own decisions, and then ste- like not making a choice to step forward because you're too afraid to, um, because you know what your limits are, right? Yeah, that's even more dangerous, I would say, because we can see the the men and the women in the world, you know, or who are living the life, and we're like, man, I wish they knew God, I wish they knew Christ. But then mm-hmm. the people inside the church who have one fist in the world, one fist in the church, we don't see them as much like, oh, they're, they're coming to church, they're serving, they're worshiping, mm-hmm. but yet inside they're fearful and they're afraid they're not fully trusting in God. And that's an even more dangerous place to be. Revelation, it talks about lukewarm Christians, and that's not a spot where you want to be because it talks about people that are on fire for Christ. That's great. People that are ice cold and want nothing to do with Jesus, mm-hmm. right? That's God can work with that because if you're ice cold and you don't want anything to do with Jesus, you're at least not deluding yourself and thinking that I'm already following Christ when I'm not. Right, the lukewarm person is the person that thinks, oh, I'm following Jesus in reality. I'm really just doing whatever I want, and I wear a cross necklace. Mm -hmm. That's the lukewarm Christian. That's who I was for 20 years, right? That person is in a very dangerous spot because, like I've said on the show before, if I died before I was 20, I would not spend eternity with God. Even though I thought I was a Christian, I was not actually living for Christ. Um, And that's a dangerous spot to be because I I was much less willing to hear and understand the gospel because, like, okay, I got that. Tell me what to do next. When in reality, I didn't, I didn't got that, right? I still didn't understand what the gospel means. Um, but if I was ice cold, if I had never heard the name of Jesus, if I grew up, you know, Muslim or if I grew up an atheist, and then someone shared the gospel with me when I was 20, it would click, you know, it would make much more sense to me when I hear it the first time because I hadn't heard it 10,000 times before and, you know, disregarded it, right? So um, like you said, it's, it's, it's not a good spot to be when you've got one foot in the world, one foot in the church, because then you fall into that lukewarm camp of it's really difficult for you to to be on fire for Christ. Mm. Well, and I think JP made a good point this weekend in one of his messages where he was like... Uh, who's JP? Uh, sorry, Jonathan Cluda. There we go. Future uh, guest of the podcast. Sorry, yes. Uh, Are so, we allowed to say that, by the way? Yes. Um, <laughs> he made a point of saying when you are that lukewarm Christian, when you have one foot in the world and one foot with God you are probably in the most painful position possible because you're mm. not trusting in either camp. You don't really belong anywhere. And so you're, you are relying on yourself and there's, there's just no good that can come from that. You don't have the good of the world and feeling like, you know, the, the pleasures of the flesh as limited as they may be. And you don't have the goodness that God can do to fill you up in that eternity of like joy. You're just stuck in the middle. Um, mm. So what do you, can what, I, do you, what do you say to a person like that or yeah. a lukewarm Christian? How do we encourage or how do we challenge them? I usually talk about assurance. Um, I I love the concept of assurance because I'm an overthinker, and I think assurance is God's gift to the overthinker. Um, And so I had a conversation with a friend about this not too long ago. John Piper's got a really good video. If you're ever struggling with assurance or how do I know if I'm going to heaven, go on YouTube, look up John Piper, how do I know if I'm I'm saved? And there's a video out there, and Mm -hmm. it's great. Um, One of the things that's amazing in 1 Corinthians, it says no one can say Jesus is Lord and mean it without the help of the Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit. And so if you were testifying to the name of Christ and you were saying, Jesus is Lord, he is the real deal, and you mean it, you can't do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's always a really good thing. Another good thing is 
when you look at Jesus, what do you see? Right? What what do you see when you look at the at the name at the person of Jesus? What do you see? Like is he a good guy? Is he a really good teacher? Is he a legend? Like a, a literal legend, um, as in someone who didn't exist, but stories about him got passed on. Um, or is he Lord? Like, is he Lord? Is when he came down to earth and he said, I he basically said, I created the universe, I am God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. Do you believe him? Like, do you believe that the tomb was empty three days later? Do you believe that he actually died and rose again? Um, does your image of Jesus match up with that of the Bible? Mm-hmm. And I think those are some diagnostic questions you can ask. If you if you think you're in a lukewarm camp and you struggle with that question of, am I really saved? Those are some diagnostic questions that you can ask. Um, and that that's usually how I, I talk to someone who I think is in the lukewarm camp. Those are questions that helped me when I was in the lukewarm camp. Um, yeah. You know, are you actually following Jesus? So I think for me, I try to spend a lot of time with them because faithfulness sort of is contagious, very contagious. Mm. And the more the more time you spend with people who are following Christ. I mean, if you are a lukewarm Christian and you spend time with lots of people who are following Christ, you're going to want to do the same. Yeah. You're going to want to show up at church. You're going to want to serve others. You're going to want to do these things. So I think uh, there's really a lot of power in community and and that just will you know flow into you. Yeah, you're the sum of the five people you hang out with most, yep. right? Where they are going, what they're doing with their lives, your life reflects that as well, even if you don't see it personally. Or it's going to reflect that very, very soon. Well, and I think at the same time, showing your full dependence on Christ and then how he shows up for you time and time again, that's not something that you can really just say. Like people seeing it happening in your life is so much more powerful Mm. and makes them really, I mean, you know, we say this, right? The aroma of Christ, like the the Holy Spirit. That's not something that you can just have a one-off and usually experience very easily. Um, So when you actually have that relationship with someone and they can see God working in your life and it's clearly not from your own abilities, there's no way to ignore it. And I think sometimes people don't just want to listen. I mean, you'll tell them as much as you want to, hey, man, follow Christ, blah, blah, blah. But until Christ convicts their hearts, which usually, I mean, from my experience, is usually this magical moment, this very instantaneous moment mm-hmm. when it all happens, then there's not going to be any change. I think uh, during our team time, uh, a friend of ours who's been pursuing this guy for a while, uh, so he met this guy who's like, hey, on a scale of one to ten, if you're to die, uh, today, I'll show you that you're going to get into heaven. Six, uh, the guy was a six. Uh, my friend explained the gospel and the guy was like, mm-hmm. I'm still a six, right? And then this past Tuesday, this guy comes to this friend. This friend's name is Sam Roth, right? And the guy's like, Sam, I'm a 10, I'm a 10. I have to tell you how that happened. And we are like, wow, that's excellent. Like after months and months and months of conversations and reading the Bible together and spending time together, the guy came out of nowhere and was like, guys, I'm a 10. And that was magical. Sam led someone to Christ? Yes. Well, good for you, Sam. Sam talked about Jesus and pointing back to God. I yeah. mean, somebody sowed, somebody reaped, and they get to rejoice together in heaven, which is really cool. Shout out to Sam. Good for that guy. Some wrote love him. He looks like Jesus. <laughs> He's got the hair. And everything. He does have the hair, and he, he drives a minivan. Or like a cult leader, let's be real. Or a cult leader. You're right. One of those. Um, man, I was, I was thinking about being my own God and, and kind of how we choose to numb ourselves a lot mm. of time to not experience everything in life so that we can be our own God. Um, actually, I had an Uber driver a couple weeks ago. And I asked him where he's from. He's like from Nepal. I was like, hey, what kind of, just want to get to know him. Hey, what kind of faith do they have over there? And he's like, Hinduism or Buddhism? I was like, cool. And then I was like, what do you practice? And he's like, oh, I am my own God. Literally says that. And I'm like, man, that's a pretty bold statement. I don't hear that too often. And he's like, yeah, I just, I got to take care of myself. Got to serve myself. And um, 
he's went on explaining that he has kids, a wife, and he's like, I used to care about my kids a lot, used to care about people around me, all this stuff going on and try and love people. But I just kept getting hurt. You know, my kids would do something dumb and, and come back and I'd hurt and my wife would get hurt and we'd be up late worrying about them, stuff going on. So my wife said at some point, like, we just gotta stop this. And so now, like, I, like I, my kids are my friends. I talk to them, but I don't really love them that much. Um, and so what he's done, really, is he's limited his range of emotions so he doesn't go too far to the left or the right, just kind of sits in the middle of the bubble. And so he's numbed himself to the idea of, like, I don't want to experience deep sadness so I, or grief, so I'm also not going to experience deep joy or happiness. And I'm going to get rid of relationships or get rid of in-depth friendships that would cause me pain or hurt. Um, and so his mechanism of numbing is really getting rid of all those other emotions and he brings it back down to the middle. And I was just so sad about that. And I know people sometimes don't say that, but that's what we do a lot of the time is we may only post our best things on social media or we, we limit our interaction with people because we only want them to see one part of the spectrum, that middle part of the spectrum. I don't want to go too high. I don't want to go too low. I just want to operate in this, this zone. And so I know if I go out on Friday nights, I'll be here, but then there's a little swing, but it's not too bad on Monday morning. So that's what I'm going to do. So what did you say to the guy after he told you that? Um, I was just chatting with him and then I got to share a little bit about Jesus. Uh, and I actually said, man, I said, that, that's a different way of doing things. Um, I kind of, I said, it kind of sounds sad because you really limit the full joys that we have here on this earth through God and the full negative emotions as well, which is called, cause the points back to God. So he wasn't interested that time, but man, got to have a great conversation with him and, and praying for him. I think that goes back to the community that you have around you and the voices that you listen to. Oh, yeah. If you listen to people such as Ikhat Tola and uh, uh, Sadhguru and Sri Sri Ravi, blah, blah, you know, like all these teachers, all these gurus, right? Yeah. And if you listen to their voice, then you're going to want to do what they tell you to do, right? Yeah. And at times when you're too far away from the truth, you lose your ability to recognize something as truthful or false right yeah. and then you find yourself really following that and i think that goes back to the community to this person and encourage him to hey man what voices are you listening to what voices are you allowing to speak to you yeah i feel like i mean just in the fact of what his job is he's dependent on people so mm. there's just so much of a, a lying to yourself um when it comes to thinking that you can limit your range of emotion like you're that's not how we were created god made us to feel um, and to be relational. And so when you do that, yeah, you're denying a lot of the joys, but you're also living in a lack of reality uh, when you don't acknowledge what you're actually feeling in that moment. Because regardless of how much control you think you have over your feelings, they exist. Um, and it may manifest in different ways. I mean, the majority of people who are in therapy are because, yeah, they were using numbing agents like mm. alcohol, uh, Xanax. Uh, I mean, the majority of what we have nowadays for medications is to reduce symptoms, not to treat the cause. Yeah. And so it just your whole life is going to be dependent on something to numb you out. In the year 2020, life expectancy in the United States decreased for the second year in a row. And that was the first time in history that ever happened where life expectancy went down two years in a row. And the major cause of that were drug overdoses and suicides. Mm -hmm. um, deaths of despair is what they're often called. And I think the reason for that is because we've, we are facing a crisis of meaning in this country, not just in this country, but all over the world. Because we've, have ac we've never had access to as much information, money, whatever in, in history. We have access to really whatever we want. Um, and we're coming to grips with the reality that it, it's not enough. It, it's mm -hmm. really not enough. You know, I can have all of these followers, I can have all this money, I can have all this notoriety. But it, we just realized it's not enough. And there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. And I know that sounds like a Christian cliche, but it could not be more true. There is a God-shaped hole in our hearts that nothing other than the name of Jesus could ever fill. And, you know, 
when we kind of go through life and we try and ignore that truth and we kind of pretend like there's something we can fill this hole with, we're constantly moving to the next thing. You know, if, if, if the Tesla is what makes us happy, then how come you're wanting to buy, how come you're going to buy the next one in five years? That truck, come right. on. <laughs> yeah, if, if, this, if this job is what's going to make you happy, then why are you so concerned about your next promotion? Right, mm -hmm. we all understand inherently that there is nothing that can fill that God-shaped hole, yet we are continually pursuing that God-shaped hole, and it is costing us. It's costing us joy, it's costing us peace, it's creating massive amounts of anxiety. The average young adult in the United States has more anxiety than a mental patient in the 1960s. Um, it, is, it is causing serious problems in our lives, and until we get to the point where we realize that Jesus is the only thing that could ever satisfy we will continue to go down this dark and dark and dark road where things are just coming and just ripping apart at the seams. And we're just losing. We're losing social fabric. We're losing our joy, our peace. We're losing all of it because we will not admit Jesus is Lord, and he's the only thing that could ever fill that gap. Mm -hmm. Man, let's go. that's so good. Made me think of this, uh, this question. Um, if I said tomorrow was going to be the worst day of your life, utterly horrible, like the worst things you can imagine, family, friends, people are going to die, stuff's going to happen. But every day after that is going to be utter bliss. Would you take it? So one day, horrific. But every day after that is going to be like your dream. You're on the beach. You're drinking Mai Tais. You're hanging out with your friends. You're playing board games. Whatever your dream is for the rest of your life, would you do it? One day horrible. The rest of your life is amazing. Fantastic. Doesn't get better. What do you think, Mallory? Would you take that? I am I am an overthinker, so I'm already thinking like, what do you mean by horrible? Like, am I going to become a quadriplegic? Am I going to be like, what is what is horrible? Um, I think I know what you're getting at, but like, I just like, yeah, yeah, define horrible. I, I I don't know exactly what horrible whatever looks your like. nightmare, whatever is. your nightmare. If I define it, I'm going to put you in a box. So if yeah. I had to hang out with rattlesnakes for 24 hours, <laughs> dude, that, dude, I would be in the same boat as you. We'd be there together, actually. It'd be like me and you. Crying. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. We'd if be... I have to hang out with you and the rattlesnakes for 24 <laughs> hours. We would just be I'm crying kidding. the I'm entire time. Andrew and I are close. We're friends. That was a we joke. Would, we would be crying the entire time. It'd be yeah. bad. Yeah, so we have 24 hours of rattlesnakes, and you're probably going to get bit at some point, and you're going to feel like you're dying, and negative stuff's going to happen, and it's one of your best friends is going to get bit and going to die as well. But every day after that is utter bliss. Would you take it? Like, there's no more rattlesnakes. There's no more pain. No more suffering. It's just complete joy. Well, I know this is an analogy for heaven, so I'm oh, going to say yes because I know, 100%. I know that's what you're so getting this, at. Like, that, is, that, is the, that is a trade-off. We don't want to take the, man, but that one day of suffering, this is just so hard. I don't know if I want to get – I want to live like a normal dot life. That's what we're doing right now. I'm telling you that this life is – there's going to be suffering, Yep, and, but every single day after that is utter joy in heaven with God. And so when we're choosing right now, saying, you know what, actually, I don't want to go through a little bit of that suffering. I don't really want to experience those things. So I'm just going to kind of numb myself. Or I'm going to take these limited emotions. I'm going to be my own God. I'm not going to give up myself, right? Because the suffering in this life is really, man, um, there's negative emotions that happen. There's negative things that happen in that sense. They say, man, we're going to suffer for a little time here on earth because there's sin. And for utter eternity, you get to be in utter bliss. So I would counter that. I yeah. would say the real, the real choice is we're all going to suffer. It's just reality. This is what we're in a broken world. There's, yeah. there's no choice about that. But what comes next is the choice. Do you want to have suffering with someone present with you who is kind and loves you and cares about you and then utter bliss for the rest of your life or suffering all alone, anxiety-driven, terrifying, and then nothing, death, you know, being with the enemy for the rest of your life, no goodness ever. Have it be infinitely so, worse. Yeah, so, so yeah. Maurice said, do you want to suffer for one day and then experience utter, utter bliss? Or do you want to suffer for one day and experience utter chaos in that day over and over again, actually even worse than that one day? I think a better analogy would be 
So or just one up. Wow, wow, well, I love it. No, no, no. Okay, okay. Bear with me. Bear with me. Bear with me. Okay. You're in a box with rattlesnakes. That's guaranteed. Would you rather be in a box with 100 rattlesnakes and have eternal bliss, or be in a box with like only 80 rattlesnakes? And then you have to suffer for the rest of eternity. I think yeah. That, either way, there's suffering involved. Like in you're gonna on, have rattlesnakes on that one day. Yeah. But then there's a choice after that, right? And we try we try and limit the suffering of what's going on, on this earth. And so I agree with Malady's analogy there. I have but, one more analogy. Yeah. Go, oh, go, go, yeah. Yeah. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do have. Go ahead. What are you gonna say? So I, I want to make a point um, that I want. I was thinking about earlier, but I kind of lost my train of thought. We were talking about like a person that thinks they've got it all under control and they're their own god and they're killing it and everything's going great. Um, quick story. So. My first week of class this semester, so my first week as an SMU law student, at every Sunday afternoon, I sit down and I write out, I plan out my week, and I'm like, here are the meetings I have, the classes I have, here are the things I need to get done for the week. So Sunday afternoon, I plan out, I write everything out. And at the top of that list, I put first week of classes, start fast. That's at the top of my list. So Monday, so if you go back and you look at that weekly calendar, everything on Monday, Thursday, and Friday is crossed out. But everything on Tuesday and Wednesday None of it's crossed out. I didn't accomplish any of it because on Monday afternoon, after I had done everything I needed to do for the day, I get a call from my mom, which is weird because we don't talk during the day. We always talk at night. And she said, your dad had an episode. They had to take him to the hospital. They found something on his brain. You need to get home now. So I emailed all my professors. I'm going to be out this week. Drove to Louisiana. They found a tumor on his head. Praise the Lord. It was benign, not malignant. So it wasn't cancer. So all they had to do was take it out. Huge blessing. But for like a solid 20 minutes, I thought, this is it. Like, I thought we were going to lose my dad. And so like, I was freaking out. I was driving home like a maniac. Um, and like, I, I put a little message in our, our porch leader group me. I said, hey, you know, I would love everyone's prayer. And then people, you know, reached out with all the support, which is amazing. And then like, you know, as I was driving out of Dallas, like as I was getting to the city limits, my mom called and said, good news. It's not cancer. They just got to take it out tomorrow. But they're still going to put your dad under a knife. Like, they're going to cut his head open. And so, like, that was a long, a long week of anxiety, like, knowing that they were going to cut my dad's head open. But it, it just goes to show, and, and he's fine now. He's recovering well. He's actually working again. So, like, the Lord really provided, and he, he's doing really well. But, like, it just goes to show, I had planned out this week as if I was in control, like, as if I could seriously plan out my week like that. Mm. Wow. And then it's just, like, it's a, I look at that page in my weekly, like, book. Mm -hmm. I, I look at that page I try and look at it like every couple of days just to remind myself, like I am not in control. Anything could happen at any given time. And so it just goes back to like, if you ever think that you're seriously in control of your own life, you are deluding yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's oh. kind of, I've been thinking about Psalm 90 of this whole conversation. In Psalm 90 verse 10, it says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble, right? There's always gonna be worries. It's gonna be suffering no matter what, what's going on after that. They're soon gone, we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So really there as a Christian, it's saying, man, I'm gonna pass away and we're gonna have suffering on this earth, but teach us to, to recognize that this could be my last day and I'm gonna live for you today mm -hmm. overall in that. And so we've just been, been thinking about that the entire time. Could we talk more about letting go of control? Well, the, uh, the, the Christian idea is Jesus take the wheel. You know, <laughs> that's how it, it immediately goes inside of that. Um, <clears throat> man, the funny thing is like, that's how we do with a lot of things with people is like right now we have so much, we have so much bickering going on between the individuals on mm. everywhere. It seems like we're just butting heads. Um, and letting go of control is really with the arms instead of butting, it's with your hands open and your arms out, right? It's saying that, you know what? I don't have to win this argument. I don't have to know the right way. I'm actually going to let you win this. I'm actually going to let you take charge overall to other individuals, right? Because I want to be your friend and I want to have this bickering. And it's the same way with God is I'm going to have arms open, right? And saying, 
I'm going to let you take control. And sometimes you're like, ah, I just want to hold on to this idea and this thing and say, um, but Lord, lead us and give me wisdom where you want me to go. And that's what I would look at is letting him take control is really that hands open mentality um, and how we interact with him and how we interact with others. Well, yeah. And I think part of becoming a Christian is realizing that any idea of control you realize was an illusion. Like we really mm. don't have oh, yeah. control. Um, and so uh, I guess what you were saying and also what Ro was saying kind of reminded me of James 4, uh, 13. Come now and pay attention to this. You who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city and spend a year there and carry on our business and make a profit. Yet you, don't, you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? You are merely a vapor, like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then vanishes mm. into thin air. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. And I think for me, that's one I have to constantly go to because I'm one of those people that's very fear-driven. And so... I will make plans trying to control what I can that's in front of me to feel a little bit safer. And then, yeah, disruptions happen. Um, life happens. Um, when, you know, you get a flat tire or someone you care about is hurt or something like that. And it really just brings home the fact that you don't know what's going to happen. You have no yeah. control. And, you know, you, you are going to be dependent on who's around you or what you believe in in that moment um, to get you through it. So Matthew six twenty five. Therefore, I t Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or what your or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air; they do not sow or reap or store into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Mm. And I think a lot of times we look at verses like that and we think, like that's the hippie Jesus telling us just to hang out, like just take it casual, everything's going to happen, you know, everything's going to be good for you. And that's not really what it means, because when you think about birds, have you ever seen a lazy bird? Like, they're always doing, unless, except for the ones hanging out on the power lines, they're always doing something. They're pecking, they're gathering something, they're always doing something. Like, they work hard, you know, so, like, Jesus isn't telling you to be lazy. Like, it's okay to work hard. We're called to do that. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if you were doing it for God. Like, we are called to work hard in our jobs, mm -hmm. in our relationships, we are called to work hard. But at the end of the day, we can work hard with that realization that it's really not up to us, that we can go, we're going to go as fast as we can, we're going to honor God while we're doing it, and we're going to remind ourselves constantly that we're not in control, and that if Jesus tells me to hit, hit the brakes and take a right turn, we're going to hit the brakes and take a right turn. Um, and so that, that's kind of what I go back to when I talk about anxiety and about trusting God, is work hard, do your best, but also remember it's not up to you. Yeah, and, and ultimately, even if we think we have a, a little bit of control, we have to give up at some point. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded, this last verse I'm going to share with you guys is in Daniel 4 with King Nebuchadnezzar, who's in charge of basically Babylon, the entire world at that point. And Daniel, he has a dream, and Daniel interprets it and says, hey, you know, you got to repent of what's going on there and give it all over to God, or else you're going to be taken away. So Nebuchadnezzar's in his garden, and he said, man, it's not great Babylon, which I have built. Look at my residence. Look at my gardens. And immediately, a voice from heaven comes and says, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you because he's making himself like God. Mm -hmm. And God pushes him to be and have an ant mind like an ox and eats grass and his males go out for seven years, right? And so I think about this and like the king knew he'd already had a vision and Daniel warned him, right? And that's what that's what the gospel is, right? People, you, you, you have a vision, you have hear the gospel and whatnot and you're like, you know what? I don't really want to listen to that. I'm going to be my own God, right? And then there's hope, there's punishment. Something happens in your life and God still wants you back. God wants you to repent because at the end of seven years... Into seven years, Nebuchadnezzar's mind has gone back to normal, 
and he says, uh, he lifted up his eyes and he blessed and praised the Most High who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Mm. Um, and so God always gives a second chance for wherever you're at and he wants you to come back to him. Um, so guys, if you're in that situation where you're a hand in, hand out kind of Christian, recognize that he's in control and come back to him. And if you're not there yet, recognize as well that he is ultimately in control of what's going to happen after life and on life. Well, and to clarify, Nebuchadnezzar, for those who don't know, he the gardens he's talking about were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was world-renowned mm-hmm. beauty, and he was a powerful, powerful person uh, and wasn't a Jew, and God still cared for him and gave him an mm. opportunity to come and repent. So, He just gives us all that opportunity too. Mm. That's awesome. That's That's been great, people. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus just to depend upon his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know that saith the Lord. That's a song, right? That's a song. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a pressure release. It's yeah, not yeah, all on you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shiningdelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.